Good morning, optimistic curmudgeons. My name is Josh Herring, and welcome to Top Down Education is Crumbling audio newsletter number three. This morning, I want to read an essay that I wrote several weeks ago that was recently published on a new website called AmericanHabits.org. Uh, that's a project of the State Policy Network, and they are particularly interested in rediscovering and applying the concept of federalism to all aspects of American life. I was asked to write about federalism and education. I got very intrigued by the recent successes of the school choice movement. So without any further ado, uh, this is my essay, Top Down Education is Crumbling. It was published on June 26, 2023. You can find that essay at AmericanHabits.org. For decades, think tanks, policy analysts, and educators have advanced the cause of school choice. In 2022 and 2023, states passed expansive school-related legislation. As of this writing, six states have enacted universal school choice plans for their K-12 students. Editors note, Oklahoma and Ohio have been recently added to that list. Florida passed HB1, which, quote, expands Florida's family empowerment scholarship to universal eligibility. All of the Sunshine, sunshine State's 2.8 million K-12 students will be eligible for education savings accounts, or ESAs. Similar laws now exist in Nebraska, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. Texas may enact expansive reforms in a 2023 special legislative session. Arkansas, in passing the Arkansas Learns Act, established ESAs for K-12 students and increased teacher-based salaries by $14,000. Arizona, which had one of the oldest ESA plans in the nation, expanded that plan to apply to all students. House Bill 2543 made, quote, all students eligible for Arizona's Empowerment Scholarship Accounts, ESA, program, which gives parents up to $6,400 back in tax money to spend on educational costs at a school of their choosing. This is a drastic change as before, Arizona ESAs were only reserved for some poor, disabled, and Native American students, close quote. Iowa and Utah now have similar plans that will eventually apply to all K-12 students in those states. As school choice advocate Corey DeAngelis tweets with each state that passes such a bill, quote, it's happening. But why now, and why so far in red states? What is it about Republican state leadership that inclines legislators and governors to change the educational status quo? In one sense, there is an obvious partisan element. Republicans are less inclined to support teachers' unions, though such positions vary by time and place. Perhaps a more substantive reason can be found in the application of federalism to the question of education policy. The United States Constitution affirms a clear division of power. Congress governs certain tasks, such as national defense, interstate commerce, and the, quote, general welfare. Amendment 10 could not be clearer, quote, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Over the past century in public education, a de facto uniformity has emerged through the standardization of education programs, national teachers unions, and licensure requirements for educators. States have minor variations, but as an industry, public education functions like a monopoly. School choice introduces competition to state revenue allocation. Parents want options for their children, and school choice movements seek to give them those options. The current successes in school choice build on the decades-long charter school movement. 
The success of individual charters like Franklin Academy in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and charter networks like Basis, Ascent, and the Hillsdale K-12 schools provide ample evidence that schools do not all have to look the same. Thanks to school choice, American education can move from a national monopolistic model to a more federalist-minded framework. Intellectual conservatism began with Edmund Burke and his magisterial reflections on the recent revolutions in France. In this 250-plus page letter, Burke articulated a sense of loss that conservatism found fruitful for over two centuries. Burke countered Enlightenment-style rationalism, suggesting that there is something precious in local communities and a way of life that has developed organically over centuries. This preference for locality and organic habits of living were threatened by the Enlightenment philosophes' insistence on pure reason, national standardization, and the overthrow of traditions. Two of Burke's concepts shed light on the school choice movement, the, quote, little platoons and the, quote, moral imagination. Burke argued that small communities like clubs, teams, or classes in a school help people form networks of friendship. Here's how he put it, quote, to be attached to the subdivision, to love the little platoon we belong to in society is the first principle, the germ, as it were, of public affections. It is the first link in the series by which we proceed towards love for our country and mankind, close quote. The school community, one such little platoon, plays a significant role in helping students love their neighborhood, their town, and their state. The school community teaches students to understand authority and how to relate to the whole of society through habitual training. There, students learn respect beyond the family and to mingle with others who are unlike them in significant ways. In the school, teachers get to know and cherish students for their particularities and see them grow into excellent human beings. They may go on to do great things, but they begin their entrance into the larger world via the school. Such a community is inherently local. It is a temporary gathering of students, teachers, administrators, and parents working together for the formation of children. Education is never value neutral, but is instead seeking to form students toward an ideal. Burke believed that education cultivates what he called the moral imagination, a sense of what could be and what is important about the world. This faculty can be cultivated and shaped, and it provides the grounds from which the individual makes choices throughout life. This moral imagination is not one of the necessities for brute survival, but it is the capacity to recognize the goodness of civilization and one's place in it. Observing the chaos of the French Revolution, Burke saw a stripping away of the moral imagination, which enabled one person to look at another and see not a meat bag, but a fellow human being of worth. Quote, but now all is to be changed, all the pleasing illusions which made power gentle and obedience liberal, which harmonized the different shades of life, and which, by a bland assimilation, incorporated into politics the sentiments which beautify and soften private society, are to be dissolved by this new conquering empire of light and reason. All the decent drapery of life is to be rudely torn off. All the superadded ideas, furnished from the wardrobe of a moral imagination, which the heart owns and the understanding ratifies, as necessary to cover the defects of our naked, shivering nature, and to raise it to dignity in our own estimation, are to be exploded as a ridiculous, absurd, and antiquated fashion. Close quote. Schools are the place where children learn the super-added ideas, the concepts that do not contribute to survival, but help students prepare for a life of freedom within a republic. 
There is always a moral imagination governing the education of children. As Christopher Rufo has shown, in the majority of public education, moral imagination embraces some form of progressive revolutionary ideology. Florida's Parental Rights and Education Bill was an attempt to limit the ability of mainstream public educators to bring students into that progressive ideology at very young ages. The argument for school choice is not that it demolishes a bad moral imagination, but rather that it allows for a multitude of educational visions to try their approach in the educational marketplace. Mainstream public education has a singular vision. And while state dollars go only to that approach, the investment payoff for educational entrepreneurs is difficult to imagine. Both Loudoun County in Virginia and Dearborn, Michigan made national headlines in recent years for contentious school board meetings. School board leaders were wildly out of alignment with parents in their districts. School choice provides parents with options, and it shows educational entrepreneurs that if they have a viable school, the funds to cover salaries, building costs, and curriculum will emerge. The vision of federalism originally resisted sameness because of diverging interest. Virginia's interests were different from Georgia and more different still from Vermont. Each state should, under the Constitution, be given the ability to pursue its own interests. School choice applies the same logic to education. All property-owning citizens create the tax base that funds public education, but the needs of students and communities are far from identical. Let woke progressives teach the 1619 Project as their core American history program and see how the results go over a decade. But if parents hate the the idea of their children being indoctrinated to despise their country and historical heritage, let another school follow Wilfred McClay's Land of Hope approach. If parents want an irreligious school, that's fine. But for parents who want a school that teaches human dignity grounded in the Imago Dei, tax dollars should be able to fund that vision as well. In 2017, educational scholar Ashley Rogers Berner published uh, Pluralism and American Public Education, No One Way to School. Berner compared the uniform American public education system to Scandinavian countries' commitment to funding differing school models. Her book is interesting but ultimately unsatisfactory because a Scandinavian model cannot map onto a country with as much geographic, ethnic, and ideological diversity as the United States. Instead of choosing which systems to fund, the school choice mantra of fund students, not systems, places the responsibility for choosing a school on parents. That responsibility allows parents to vote with their feet. If the administration is terrible, if the teachers fail to teach, and if bullying cannot be solved, parents will go where their children are better served. Such an approach recalls Justice Brandeis's phrase, laboratories of democracy, to describe a myriad of policies in various states. Instead of an educational monopoly, tax dollars could create an educational marketplace. What would such a future look like? In one sense, that future is already unfolding. Great Hearts Academy has over 20 campuses in four states, and in 23-24, they are launching Great Hearts Christos, a private Christian version of their school model. Thales Academy has figured out how to offer private classical education at approximately $6,000 annually per student. Optima Academy Online is pioneering a virtual reality classical model for students who have no good schooling options near them. Hillsdale College's K-12 American Classical Education Program has helped over 25 charter schools gain their charters while supporting their communities with top-notch curriculum. 
with Arizona, Utah, Iowa, Florida, Arkansas, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Ohio now opening the floodgates of state funds attached to students. The coming years will see a variety of educational experiments. Some will fail, but others will succeed. Such educational competition will apply new pressures to public education, forcing schools to either improve to improve in ways that parents agree with or lose enrollment. Competition will bring out the best in education while forcing inferior schools to close as funding dries up. The Federalist vision is one of freedom and opportunity. The educational monopoly of public education is crumbling, and that's a good thing. By funding students rather than systems, state policymakers can apply the principles of federalism to help local communities seek their interests. An educational marketplace allows parents to shape the moral imaginations of their children within educational platoons that help them learn the habits, responsibilities, and rights of citizenship. My name is Josh Herring. I am the professor of classical education at Thales College in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, if you enjoyed this article, I would ask you to uh, do us the privilege of subscribing to The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Uh, we are currently on our summer break and will be releasing season five beginning in September of 2023. And if you want to get access to those, be sure to find us on your favorite, uh, your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the show. Uh, if you enjoyed this one, please do also pass it on to friends and family. If you're at all curious about a different model of, uh, of teaching teachers to prepare them for an education uh, in, or to prepare them to step into the classical classroom, do check out the Thales College website at thalescollege.org. There you'll find the description of our program and everything that we're doing to help bring about a new option in higher education. That website, one more time, is thalescollege.org. That's T-H-A-L-E-S-C-O-L-L-E-G-E.org. All right, that's it for this audio newsletter. I'll be back uh, at some point the next couple of weeks before we get to uh, season five. As always, remember the true, seek the good, and enjoy the beautiful.